Hey everyone, welcome to Moving Forward, the podcast for the work truck industry. We seek out conversations with industry leaders and discuss issues that we're all facing today. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with other industry friends. And now our host, the 51st president of NTEA, the Association for the Work Truck Industry, Jeff Messer. Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Messer. And today I have the pleasure to sit down with Mark Saltzman the president and owner of Byers Products Company in Mentor, Ohio. Welcome, Mark. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to get into your story. You're uh, leading a family business, which similar to, to me, I think you're third generation. Is that correct? I am third generation. So tell me how you got involved in the family business and um, maybe a little bit about Byers and, and what you do. Okay. Well, the, the history is Byers got started in the late 40s. Um, by my wife's great uncle and grandmother. Um, he was a machinist by trade uh, and was looking for a way to make a living. Started selling army surplus and he drove around the Midwest and then around the East Coast um, selling uh, whatever the army, uh, whatever he could buy uh, in surplus from the army. Uh, my wife's grandmother um, worked in what was the, the office warehouse, which was a converted house uh, in someplace in Cleveland. I'm not exactly sure where. Um, and uh, sometime in the late 40s, early 50s, um, Sam Rubin, who was the original owner, um, found a gentleman down in um, Botkins, Ohio, um, that uh, was making rubber mud flaps and uh, he hooked up with him and uh, became the sales force for uh, rubber mud flaps. Fast forward from 1949 uh, to 2005 and we ended up buying that company. <laughs> um, and uh, we own what, what is probably the largest rubber mud flap manufacturer in the country. Um, we make all the rubber bed mats for Ford, GM, and Chrysler um, that go in the back of the pickup trucks. Um, so he picked up that line, um, and then he picked up a line of universal joints uh, and drive lines for power takeoffs. Mm -hmm. um, there was a company up in uh, north central Michigan that was manufacturing them. Um, and then he found a company to make uh, cable controls. Uh, one cable control, PTO cable control, um, would engage and disengage the PTO, uh, and the other one would uh, um, would operate the hydraulic pump um, and raise and lower the body on a dump truck. So that that was that was the majority uh, of the line. Um, he picked up a line of uh, hardware tow hooks, things such as that, um, that was manufactured by Cleveland Hardware. So. That went on through the 50s into the early 60s. Um, the original owner, he was getting up in years, um, wasn't uh, too healthy. Uh, my father-in-law was building houses here in Cleveland, little $13,000 houses. Um, his uncle said, uh, would you like to take over the business? And as he told me, I looked at the books and said, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> Beats building houses for 13 grand. Um, and uh, so he took it over in the mid-60s, built a little building, um, and went out on the road. He traveled, uh, uh, he started in 65, and uh, my father-in-law 
was well known throughout North America um, because he drove pretty much and opened up um, all, all 50 states and all 10 Canadian provinces over that 25 years. So he'd travel a territory, six, eight states, um, he'd hire a salesman, put that salesman in the territory, train him, moved on to the next territory. Still selling those, those still products? Selling, still selling, uh, you know, there were a lot of things were added, uh, other types of drive lines, other types of hardware, paddle latches, things like that. Um, he finished up uh, the West Coast in the late 80s and uh, um, asked me to, I, I, I joined him in 78, the year after we got married, um, and uh, worked in, uh, in the warehouse and then worked in the office. Um, we had a little uh, 8,000 square foot building um, and I think overall with our salesmen and everybody else we had about 20 employees. Um, and uh, um, when he finished selling, when he had, had hired all the salesmen and covered all the territories, um, he asked me to take over buyers and he wanted to do something else and we, uh, we opened up our, uh, our first manufacturing facility uh, in 1988, which, was, uh, uh, which is Viking Forge, um, uh, which became a, a primary supplier to us, but also um, selling uh, forgings into the oil and gas industry uh, and automotive industry. Um, my father-in-law ran that till three days before he died, um, about five years ago, um, and built it into quite a large forging operation. Um, upon his death, uh, our, our largest customer, who's in the oil and gas industry, um, said they really wanted to, to buy it. They were taking 50% of our output, so we put a deal together to, to sell the forge. Um, in the uh, early 90s, uh, we, bought, uh, we bought what was a, a bankrupt machine shop and fabricating company here in Menor. Uh, it's now our primary manufacturing facility. Um, it was a little company then. Um, we probably employ, uh, I'm going to guess, in the neighborhood of 400 people there now. Wow. Um, and it encompasses uh, two buildings, uh, about 800,000 square feet of manufacturing. So we started, we started making salt spreaders. We started making toolboxes in this little fabricating company. Um, we started expanding that. We added a lot of uh, CNC equipment. Uh, we added our first robotic welding cell about mm, 20 years ago. Um, and the growth of the product line um, generally came from our salesmen. So back in the day, uh, after my father-in-law hired a salesman, you were required generally either to drive or fly out to your territory mm -hmm. um, and then come back Friday night and you had to be in the office on Saturday morning. Um, and uh, the guys did it because we paid a lot of money. <laughs> and so we'd sit around and meet uh, every Saturday morning with, uh, with donuts and coffee. And each of the salesmen were required, there was only four or five at the time, they were required to talk about what, what orders they got while they were on the road. Um, and then uh, they would come to us and say, uh, you know, XYZ, 
I was up at Messer, and boy, he really wants these. You know, or I was, you know, I was at this guy or that guy. Can we do these? And we'd sit around and talk about it, and the other guys would say, yeah, yeah, we, we need those. And then we would figure out how to source it. We'd have them manufactured. Well, once we got into manufacturing, um, we said, we can do that. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, we started forging uh, pinnel hooks and machining them in the machine shop, and that expanded into a complete line of light duty to very heavy duty pinnel hooks. Uh, we still machine them down the street. We have, I don't know, eight CNC machines down the street, um, high volume machines that are producing uh, pinnel hooks, machining pinnel hooks. Um, one of the one of the stories I also like to tell is uh, one of the early salesmen came in uh, in the early 80s and walked in with a, a set of Meyer blade guides, you know, the yellow guides, mm -hmm. and said he was a, kind of a loud guy. He said, "My guys tell me, you know, they can't get these. Meyer won't send them to them. Can we make these?" We took it apart and saw that it was actually a um, a cable control. Um, but running yellow and cut to size and then put into it. And we said, we can do those. Um, and uh, um, so, I don't know, we, we probably had a thousand of them made, you know. Um, and wow, that salesman was right. I mean, there was huge demand for Meyer blade guides. Um, and that was our, our first entry into winter equipment. So that started your, your SAM line there? Our, our SAM line. Uh, SAM is actually, um, uh, um, was the original owner's name. So we named ah. the parts that parts business. Um, it's snowplow aftermarket manufacturing. But it was, it was set up so that we could call it SAM. Um, On that note, talk about naming. Um, so, w was the company always Buyer's Product Company? It was, and we've suffered with that name. <laughs> um, and uh, we've thought about changing it, and uh, we got resistance uh, um, and decided to leave it. Um, Sam, the original owner, was uh, renting about a thousand square foot of, fa of space um, for his army surplus parts um, in, in the in the uh, buyer storage and warehouse building someplace in downtown Cleveland. It's long since gone. Um, and we named the company after the building he was in. So to this day, um, when we're cold calling, when we're calling on new customers, they, you know, they just, what's, what's, what's with the name? What's with the name? And it's a horrible name. Um, but it's our name, and, and uh, for 75 years uh, we've used it. Certainly uh, in the truck equipment industry, though, so it's become known. And yeah, if you, I mean, we sell products to pretty much every truck equipment house in mm -hmm. North America. Doesn't matter whether it's in Edmonton or, or Miami, um, we supply them with product. Um, we also supply lots of uh, body manufacturers with product. Um, so th that was our first entry into snowplow, um, and then we came out with, uh, you know, the guy said, well, my guys want western blade guys, and we did those. Um, and then uh, um, we, we found out there was a, a tremendous call for hydraulic fluid, and I told the story a couple weeks ago. 
Um, we bought a 55-gallon drum of, of uh, low-temp hydraulic fluid, mm -hmm. and uh, our, 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 one of our engineers hooked up a, a spring-loaded urinal um, a valve um, so that we could fill the bottles. Mm -hmm. and, and he hooked that up because it, it was a quick shutoff, so we could fill the bottle almost to the top. So we were hand-filling quart bottles of hydraulic fluid um, to sell to our customers. So that was the beginning of it. Um, moved towards uh, 1990 and uh, we, we had requests for a small salt spreader for the back of um, uh, pickup trucks. So we tooled up our own salt spreader. Um, that has grown into, um, we make salt spreaders, you know, 20 foot long now. So you, you get involved in the late 70s. Um, it's a relatively small company. Was it your goal to grow to this size or was it just organic, just finding products um, that, that people weren't selling? When, when I joined my father-in-law in the uh, late 70s, he said, Mark, our goal is to, to get to $10 million in sales. He said, we'll figure it out. And he was right. Um, my original goal was to get to the company to um, 100 million. Um, we surpassed that a long time ago. Um, my goal now is I, I, I would like to make it to a billion dollar company. Wow. That's my goal. So uh, we're trying to put everything in place um, to make that happen. Um, we grow basically organically. We, we make some acquisitions, if they make perfect sense. Um, one of my favorite acquisitions um, is we bought a small rotational molder. Uh, we, were, we were having parts rotationally molded by a small company near Dayton, Ohio. He couldn't keep up, um, and I said, you know, I think there's, there's, there's growth here. Um, and uh, so we started looking around for a rotational molder. And there was a little tiny ad in the Wall Street Journal um, for a rotational molding company that was for sale um, in uh, north central Indiana. And it turns out it was a family-owned business, part of a bigger business that got into financial trouble. Banks came in and said, you got to sell off this division. Um, we went and looked at it and said, it's just perfect. Um, and we owned it 30 days later. Um, and uh, it's now grown it had, uh, they call them ovens, so each machine that makes parts is an oven. We had three ovens. Um, we now have 10 and 11 on order um, in 300,000 square feet of manufacturing space. Um, we make um, up to 800 pound uh, rotationally molded parts. We make all our salt spreaders. We make toolboxes. Um, and then we also make a lot of ag parts for the ag industry, um, and we also uh, make uh, components for uh, numerous truck manufacturers and things such as that. Um, so it was was just circumstance that we said, okay, we want to get into this business, um, and the timing was perfect. This company came available, and we were able to put something together very quickly. Um, it's a it's a fun business. One of one of my one of the reasons why I like it so much is we don't have to compete with um, 
the Asians or, or, or anybody because rotational molding business is, is very regionalized because you're talking about big empty parts. Sure. Um, so uh, the plants, it's about 200 miles from here. Mm -hmm. um, but we get um, one, two, three truckloads of parts every day from that facility um, that we then bring in to mentor um, and parts that we fabricated um, um, get installed, motors get installed, do final assembly. Um, so that has worked out um, phenomenally well. So as a leader of the company, you're, some would say, the chief culture officer. You drive the, the company culture. How would you describe that culture here at Byers? Um, my father-in-law was quite poor. Um, his, his father and mother got divorced in... 1936. Um, not a not a great yeah. time to not have any income or not have. So he grew up really poor, um, and always um, was looking out for every every employee. He he was very much um, on their side, no matter what. He was on their side, and it's something that he taught me that that to this day. Um, we hold uh, um, we hold sacred, and that is um, help the people that help you build the company. That without them, there there's nothing. You don't have customers if you don't have employees. So we've we've always been a company that bent over backwards um, to uh, pay better than uh, going rate for wages. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have a 401k here, we have a profit sharing plan, so we contribute a, a large amount of money every year. Um, we have employees that have a million dollars in their profit sharing plan wow. in the office, in the warehouse. Yeah. Um, have they been here 30 years, 35 years? You bet. Um, but most companies don't think that way. Um, we do. Um, I learned it from him. Um, and it, it, it tells people that work here that we're different and we care and we're looking out for them. So do you think that plays into your ability then to find people? Obviously, labor is a crisis across the country. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you think that lends itself well to... I, you know, I always, when I talk to friends or acquaintances, I always, I always correct them because... For the last two years, you've been hearing over and over and over, um, we just can't find people. We just can't find people. And I always, I always smile and say, what you're really saying is you just can't find people for what you're willing to pay for that particular job. Mm -hmm. um, what I've asked our people to do is every month, because, because it is more difficult now than it has been in the past to attract people. Every month, I want them to survey what the main job classifications are, what the pay scale is in Northern Ohio. And we do it through the temp service we work with and the headhunter we service. Um, and we adjust accordingly. Last year, we adjusted um, you know, welding wages, I think, three times. Um, because if we didn't, they'd go down the street. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, I, we employ something like 110 or 115 welders um, 
down the street in the two facilities. Uh, and, and there is some turnover. Um, but um, if we set our wages um, 5% better than what other companies are um, hiring welders at, um, we're generally all able to find them and keep them because of our benefit program. Um, so that's what we do. Every month we take a look, uh, we see what's out there, and if we need to, we adjust accordingly. So let me ask you, uh, personally, how do you um, develop yourself, your leadership? Um, do you have uh, mentors? Do you uh, work with a cohort? Uh, I know you say you don't like to leave your house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a lot, um, but what I'm counting on is um, is uh, our management team. We, we just have a fabulous management team, and again, when we find the right person um, for a particular job, whether it be our COO or our CFO, um, we we won't take no for an answer. We, Whatever it takes to bring them in, we do it. You know, we, we meet their salary requirements. Um, whatever they might ask for, we say yes. Um, and that allows us to, track, to attract uh, the best talent. We have a new plant manager starting in our aluminum plant uh, next week. He's coming, he's moving to this area from um, I don't know about 60 80 miles away mm -hmm. um, but he's you know I, I, I loved interviewing this guy because he couldn't sit still um, and he, he comes from a, uh, a kind of a parallel industry uh, upfitting um, uh, armored vehicles interesting uh, and this guy was gunny uh, and and you ask him a question direct to the point um, you know wore a smile on his face, gave great answers, um, and uh, after, I think there were five of us that interviewed him, and after the interview, um, we all said, that's the guy, okay, who wants to take lead on this, and um, let's get him here. Do you have a favorite interview question? Ha. <sighs> I don't. I, you know, I. I it sounds uh, like you're you're involved though with all the the interviews for. Yeah, you know, here's my favorite. Here's leaders. my favorite interview question. Um, until not that long ago, I, I've been here 44 years. Um, I used to interview everybody up until maybe 10 years ago. I'd interview everybody, and here, um, here is how I handle that. Um, and I tell people this all the time. Um, I insist that wh whoever is being interviewed um, is kept in the lobby until I'm ready to talk to them. And when I'm ready to talk to them, I go and introduce myself in the lobby. And then I ask them to follow me. Um, and I walk at a very quick pace from the lobby to my office. Um, and. Those that don't keep up with me have short interviews. <laughs> that is the honest to God truth. Um, I was, my wife opened uh, a number of uh, charter schools over the last 15 years 
um, in the inner city. And I was talking to one of her principals, and he asked me a similar question, what do you, when you're interviewing people? Um, and I told him this story. Um, and every time I see him, he said, Mark, best advice I've ever had. He said, when I interview a teacher, and I'm interviewing him constantly, I go and pick him up in the lobby, and I make a fast pace to my office. And if they don't keep up with me, it does. It, 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 it's, it says something about them. I want someone who's going to keep up with me. So are you normally a fast walker? Um, I've slowed down a little bit. The, the knees and the hips aren't quite as good as they used to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I like to move. I've been accused of that too. You, just, you go one speed. Um, I, I like to move. So talk about your, your daily routine here uh, at work. I've, I've heard stories of the time you spend in the plant, mm-hmm. um, in your insightful eye, being able to, to detect defect and, and question what's going on. So is, is that part of your daily routine? Are you um, walking the, the plant I'm, floor? I'm generally, I'm generally in uh, one of our two plants one of our three plants down the street um, every morning that I'm in town. Um, you know, I'll, I'll get there somewhere between 7.30 and 8.30 in the morning. Um, and uh, what I like to do is um, be unannounced. Nobody knows I'm coming. Uh, although, some, I don't know how, but generally with within five minutes of, of me hitting the doorway, uh, the, the plant manager generally knows I'm in the plant and, and finds me. Um, I'm a firm believer in, my favorite phrase is management by walking around, and um, I'm a firm believer in that. What I find uh, somewhat disheartening is uh, people have heard that for 30 years, and a lot of uh, people believe that management by walking around is walking around and talking to people and seeing what they thought of the game and seeing how their kids were doing. and. Um, and that's not my management by walking around. My management by walking around is yes to, to, to greet the, uh, the, the guy running the CNC press or the woman running the, 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 uh, um, the press break. Um, um, but then ask them, what's going on? What kind of issues are we seeing? What's wrong? You know, and invariably that they're, they're going to share what their frustration is. Um, and I take note of that every day. Um, and then I, I talk to the general manager about it. I say, are you aware of that? Um, no, I wasn't. You really need to be aware of that. You know, you, um, and, and I, I, I go out and look for trouble. I mean, you know, I talk to people and look for trouble and press them for trouble. Um, when, when I, you know, when I see things uh, it, what do I we have I don't know we probably have 40 scrap bins in, in those two locations um, every time I walk through the plant I look in the scrap bin uh, I want to see what you know the, I want to see what we're throwing away mm-hmm. and say you know if it's one part it's two parts oh it's just uh, I want it written on there a set up part before it goes in that scrap bin um, but if there's a bunch of parts in there just whoa time out what's going on here um because we're dealing with, um, you know, some of our sheets of stainless weigh, you know, 300 pounds. Well, a 300-pound sheet of stainless today costs us $800, okay? And if we screw it up, we get, we get 100 bucks back when, when we sell it to the scrap man. Um, 
So I'm looking for problems. I'm asking about problems. Um, I'm constantly looking for um, small things. In our packaging and assembly operation, um, for 30 years I walk in and say, why? That person is trying, they're doing a good job. They're unskilled, they're doing a good job. Um, why are we making them walk four feet to get apart? Mm -hmm. When, and, and invariably, say, well, the material handler put it there. So, <laughs> you have to tell that person that not to let the material handler do a, an inadequate job. You gotta tell that it's his responsibility to tell the material manager, put that pallet right here so I can reach into it. But I could go down the street today and I, I know I'll find two or three either pallets or finished good pallets, either raw material or finished good, that aren't in the right location. Well, doggone it, is that really that difficult? I mean, it's one thing when you're walking an extra four feet and it's an hour into the shift, but I don't care who you are and I don't care how young you are, eight hours later, you're a little tired. It's all additive too, you know, that's miles. It's miles and, and, and it's unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Help, help, it's your job to make sure, uh, whether, whether you're the floor supervisor or the lead, it's your job to help all those people make their jobs a little easier. Sure, and identifying waste, that's all just waste and right. that, that's all customers not willing all to pay waste. for. It's all Absolutely. waste. So. so in your opinion, um, the most important personality or character trait in a successful leader? Boy, that's a, that's a uh, good question. Um, the the desire to to be the best, the desire to succeed. Um, you know, I I, I tell people, um, you know, I in in my forty four years of business, um, I've met a lot of fortunate people, but I've never met anybody as fortunate as me. Hmm. Um, and um, they said, well, you work hard. I said, you know, yes, I do. Um, but I love what I do. Um, and, and every day I get up and I can't wait to get to work. doesn't matter. I, I just cannot wait to get to work. So you got to love what you're doing. Um, and you want, you, you, you want, you, you have to have the desire, um, to, to be the best toolbox manufacturer, to be the, the, the best snowplow manufacturer. Uh, and if, and if you don't have that, um, that burning ambition, um, somebody's going to do it better than you. So you obviously have that drive, that motor. Where did that come from? Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I think I think I was born with it. Um, uh, I, you know, since I was a little kid, all I wanted to do, you know, I cut lawns, I I shoveled snow when I was, you know, when I was ten. I had two different paper routes. Um, I, I, we, we certainly weren't poor growing up. My father owned a, a, a very modest business, um, but I, I wanted my I wanted my I wanted to be able to go to the candy store with a dollar in my pot, my dollar in mm -hmm. my pocket, and I didn't want to have to go to my mother and ask for a dollar. So I, I mean, I just always wanted to earn money. I went to college, got a management degree, 
all I can think about, all I could think about from the day I started college was getting out of college, just getting through this so I could go to work. Um, and I worked all through college because I enjoyed, I enjoyed working more than I did studying. Hmm. So what does the future hold? What, is, what does the next five years look like for you? I, and, I, and I don't know. I wish I, I wish I knew what the future holds. Um, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, that uh, um, Andy, uh, our son, has joined the business. He's now in his seventh year. Um, and uh, um, he's run the marketing department. He's now running sales uh, on a temporary basis. Um, and then he'll, he'll move in a position of, uh, of, of spending a lot more time with me mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out what the heck I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so uh, um, between Andy and our management team, um, uh, you know, I feel very, very fortunate um, that we've put together this team, um, that, that the company can stay um, privately held by, by our family on into the future. Um, and that we're going to continue to attract, be able to attract top-notch, top-notch talent um, in every field. Um, you know, a, a number of our key people uh, came from public companies um, and companies owned by private equity, um, and all of them say, um, although they work extremely hard, and sometimes, you know, they don't agree with me. Um, they pretty much all agree it beats the hell out of working for uh, a public company or one owned by private equity um, because it's all about quarterly numbers. Sure. Um, we don't look at, I mean, do I look at the numbers? <laughs> you, you're damn right, I do every day, every week, every month. But I don't hold our people accountable. You're not making decisions I'm solely not based on the numbers. decisions at all based on, on the numbers that. Um, I see certainly on a monthly or quarterly basis. This is all about building, um, building future, building future, um, and I, I'm not worried about what profits were for the for the month or the quarter. Um, we we have a much larger um, span of time we like to look at. Sometimes it feels like the family business is a dying breed, though, it, it, with the amount of consolidation it, it, it's in the industry. Sad. Yeah. You know, it's, even you go up to the local mall, and I mean, you know, when it opened 25 years ago, the stores were all, you know, it was, there were six shoe stores, one of them was a chain, and five of them were owned by local people. You go, you look at the, the automobile industry, and I mean, these were families that, always gave back a lot to the community. They sponsored this, they sponsored that. Um, and, it, you know, one family owned one car dealership. Um, and maybe, maybe they bought a second, another brand. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, it's been this huge consolidation. And there's very few car dealerships left in the country that are owned by public companies. Um, so those people that used to give so much back to the community, um, they don't, you know, they don't own those businesses. They're not making the families aren't making the kind of money they were before. I find that terribly, awfully sad. Um, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal last week about um, private equity wants to buy your car wash. I mean, 
When, when did private equity get car washing business? I, I feel it homogenizes everything and it loses its local flavor. So you Absolutely. know, you know, you go to a restaurant and it's just the same food, you know, no matter where you are in the country. And um, I think it, it, it's sad and and we're missing some pieces. I, I think we are um, very much so. I mean, you, you travel around the country, you, you you drive into any small city or town and on the outskirts it's the same 50 signs yeah and they're either public companies or private equity um and it's terribly sad because people people in the community used to make a lot more money owning these businesses um than working for somebody else now it's just um, getting funneled out it's getting it's getting funneled to new york city or atlanta or or london or on and on and on um, and I, yeah, I'm troubled by that. I, don't get me wrong. I don't have a solution. <laughs> um, but well, I think you are the solution. Yeah. You know, you're you're hanging on to the family business and, and doing the best you can. You know, I, I, we I can't go a week without at least you know one or two phone calls, a couple of emails from private equity companies. Uh, I'm sure you experience the same thing. Yep. It's just yep. just constant and. Um, uh, if I get an email, I generally respond that thank you very much, but we're privately held, and fourth generation is involved. We're really not interested. And they always say, "Can I contact you in a year?" I said, "You can, but you're going to hear the same answer." Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, let's go to our rapid-fire questions here. Just oh, a couple of quick-hitting questions. Uh, what are you reading or listening to right now? Uh, I just read a book that um, fascinating little story. Um, I'm going to guess it was nine years ago, ten years ago. My phone rings and I pick it up, um, and I hear on the end, "Hi, Mr. Salzman. This is Danny Sheridan. Um, I think you know my dad, uh, and I know his dad. I'm not good friends with him." I said, "Sure, I, you know, I know your dad." Um, he said, uh, "I'd like to come meet with you." Absolutely, sure. Love to talk to you. What are we meeting about? He said, I want to sell your product, um, your, your stake rack connectors um, and a latch. I want to sell them on Amazon. And I said, you mean the, the books? You want to sell my hardware on a, on a bookstore? <laughs> I, I don't understand. He said, well, it's more than a bookstore. Oh, can I tell you about it when we meet? And I said, sure. Um, and uh, um, the next day, Danny Sheridan walks in my office. I've never been so blown away in my life, honest to God. Um, 17 years old, going to a local high school. Um, finished classes at 1 o'clock, and he set up a business called Woodside Distributing, which is the street he lived on. Huh. Um, selling things that he found that he could resell on Amazon. And he built it, while he was in high school, built it into, I believe, about a million dollar business. Wow. Um, went to the University of Michigan, built it into a much bigger business. You can go online and read about it. Um, uh, put together a good-sized company, basically out of his dorm room, out of University of Michigan graduated four years ago, five years ago, was immediately hired by Amazon, moved to Seattle, 
And I found out a few weeks ago, this, this guy is 26. <laughs> he he has, wrote has his own book. A book. <laughs> um, called Fact of the Day by Danny Sheridan. And basically, it's a, it's a book of all sorts of different facts and little stories written by the likes of Jeff Bezos uh, or Steve Jobs or any one of a number of people. And it's just, it's fascinating. But the fact that this young man, when he, it was published two years ago, put this book together. Um, I have not spoken to him in, in a year. Um, when I last spoke to him, he was with Amazon, and he has since left Amazon. And yeah, he's a he's a Jeff Bezos Jr. Huh. I mean, so when he came in to interview with me nine years ago, ten years ago, I said, "Sit there, because I'm going to gather some people together." And I, Dave Zellis and and, and Brian, I said, "You got to talk to this guy." <laughs> seventeen years old, because he's. 17 years old, and he's talking about things that are amazing and I don't understand. Um, and you know, he wants to sell our products on, on Amazon, you know, the bookseller. Uh, and uh, um, so that's what I'm reading. And, and um, you know, it's just, you know, I spent, I don't know, four or five hours going, actually reading every page because it's fascinating. And then I, I saw, I just signed up, um, I, get, I, get a, I get a daily email from him, fact of the day, I think, there, I, think I read there's like 50,000 people get the email, oh, wow. fact of the day. I, I just love things like that, I love That yeah, is, that is a great story. So. so let's say you find yourself on a deserted island, mm -hmm. what three items can you not do without? Um, what three items can I have? Um, that's easy. My iPhone, my iPhone, and my iPhone. <laughs> I hope there's a charging station, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, if I'm on that deserted island, I better have a, uh, a solar charging yeah. station. Um, what, I, I mean, you know, my, my father, uh, who didn't own this business, my father passed away uh, in the late 70s. And when I... You know, that what I what I, I'd love to be able to talk you know talk about interviewing somebody um, ask me who I want to interview I want to interview my dad <laughs> because when he passed away I was uh, 24 years old and and he lived through he was born in 10 uh, he was born in Europe um, came over here as a teenager was poor um, uh, started a little business before the war, but um, joined the army. Um, I got about 10 million questions mm. for him. Um, I would love to be able to to uh, talk to him, and then sh and then show him what's happened since he died. Let me show you this little computer. I have. What's a computer? Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's a, uh, you can actually have a video call or yeah, you know, talk to someone on the other side I of the world. I would accept a video call. That yeah. would be great. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, gosh, I, I, you know, I'd love to be able to uh, uh, spend a day. Sure, sure. Um, so tell us uh, one thing people would be surprised to learn about you. Uh, 
what uh, mm, surprise learned by me that 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 I, I I love being home. A lot of people like to travel. Yeah. My wife loves to travel, so I do travel. Um, but if I have my choice, uh, I want to sit in my own bed. <laughs> <laughs> I love hanging out with the dogs and, and the grandchildren and, and walking around the property and um, doing little projects. And um, I, I have such great comfort um, being home. So maybe that's... Maybe that's uh, uh, the one thing people don't know about me. I don't know. What, what's the thing you least like, either a business or in, or the industry? Um, you know, I don't think I, I think our industry is it parallels most industries. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think there's anything inherently bad about the industry. Um, what I what I don't like is. Um, is people trying to get the most out of um, their employees for the least amount of money. I, mm -hmm. We don't believe in that philosophy. Um, we believe in, 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 in sharing the bounty um, and, and taking care of people. Um, you know, I hear it from our mid-level people all the time, you know, we don't have to pay that much for a material handler. Um, you know what, we want to find the best material handler and we want that material handler to be able to afford a vehicle that's going to get them to work every day on time um, and it's not going to be broken down. Um, so we look to pay people um, what they think they're worth in, in many cases and better than the other companies in the area um, so that they can afford a, a nice place to live mm -hmm. so they can eat um, healthier food than, than, than fried chicken and, and fried hamburgers um, so that they can have a, a, a decent automobile um, so they can afford to uh, hopefully help send their kids to, to um, tech school or college. Um, that to me is, is um, incredibly gratifying. And the thing I don't like is uh, companies that have, can afford better um, um, squeezing their, their employees. I, I, I find that um, horrific. Sure. And, uh, sure. um, and that's one of the things I don't like about many public companies and many private equity companies. Yep. Put the shareholders um, first. Because they put the shareholders first. Um, we're fortunate that uh, we don't we don't have shareholders, um, we don't have a bank, and we don't have a board. So, so we can sit around with the people that help us make decisions and very quickly decide what new equipment we're going to buy and what, what we're going to do. Um, so uh, we're very fortunate that way. So that's what I don't like about businesses, sure. is people not willing to share the profits with the people that help them make it. So in closing, let's say you had a new hire, a salesperson, or just someone entering in the industry, what one piece of advice would you impart on that person? Um, the first thing I would say, I think, is um, no matter what happens, be honest. We all mess up. We all screw up. We all make mistakes. Okay. 
No one's got you. No one's going to cut you off at the knees for that. Uh, the first time. So if there's a problem, be honest with the customer. Tell them what went wrong. Make sure when you call them um, that you're 100% honest and that you have the solution. So get the solution and let them know what it is. Um, and never come back to the people that work at the company and lie there either. Be 100% honest. And if you do that, you're going to succeed. If you try hard and you take care of your customer and you take care of the people that you work with uh, and you're honest with them, you're going to succeed. Um, you know, I, I, I've, you brought up salesmen. Um, I, I tell salesmen when I'm interviewing them, I said, you know, I've been here since we had four salesmen um, and I've interviewed probably hundreds of mm -hmm. salesmen uh, and have hired a few. Um, and, and here's the fascinating part. We have never, ever had a salesman that didn't succeed. Every one of our salesmen has succeeded. And generally when they come off the road and I see them, they tell me, you know, I go to see these customers. They want to see me. They, they, they want to see me. They, they want to know what's new, what we're doing. Um, so we, we, we've never had a salesman succeed, uh, not succeed. What we, what we have had is salesmen who stopped working hard. And we've had to talk to them. And if they didn't fix that, we had to ask them to go work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But we've never had somebody say, you know what, your product is terrible, the customers hate the company, they don't want to see me, this sucks. Not once in my 44 years have I heard those words. The only thing that has happened is um, some, not a lot, salesmen's heads got kind of big um, and uh, they, you know, they came to see me, they couldn't get through the door because their head got in the way. <laughs> um, they stopped working hard and we, we, we've had to let them go because they, their, their heads just got too big. Um, so work hard, be honest, we're going to love working together. Well, Mark, thank you so much for spending some time with me. It's uh, it been very enjoyable and, and eye-opening as well. I appreciate your insight, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, uh, I greatly appreciate uh, uh, spending time with you and, and t talking about uh, uh, our company and, and uh, what we've done and what we hope to do in the future, and uh, certainly hope... Uh, uh, we're going to have to continue our relationship on for uh, many more years. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. I hope you enjoyed our episode. More episodes can be found at movingforwardpodcast.com or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever finer podcasts are found. If you'd like to contact the show, please drop me a line at worktruckpod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at worktruckpod.